Hey everyone, it's me, D.B. Spitzer. I do not have an episode for this week. We recorded it. It did not get lost. We recorded it. Uh, Dave has parts that he's recorded. Uh, there's an interview part. It's all wonderful. I'm just sick as hell and cannot uh, spend a bunch of time in the editing bay this, this week. So instead, I am going to put all the songs that I've made throughout the years. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm not going to do that to you. Uh, another episode of uh, Great Disasters and Horrors, um, or whatever the book's called. I don't know. I, I have a lot of um, decongestion medicines in my head right now so thank you again for listening rate review subscribe tell your friends where to find us go to the show notes the show notes will tell you everything you need to know if i remember to put show notes in this week uh, i think it's something about tornadoes if not it's about hurricanes all right thank you for listening and being awesome in general all right i love you Great Disasters and Horrors in the World's History by Alan H. Godby Chapter 7 Other Tornadoes From the dark earth impervious vapors rise, increase the darkness and involve the skies. At once the rushing winds, with roaring sound, burst from the Aeolian caves and rend the ground. With equal rage their airy quarrel try, and win by turns the kingdom of the sky. But with a thicker night black auster shrouds the heavens, and drives on heaps the rolling clouds, from whose dark womb a rattling tempest pours, which the cold north congeals to haily showers. From pole to pole the thunder roars aloud, and broken lightnings flash from every cloud. Now smokes with showers the misty mountain ground, and floated fields lie undistinguished round. Where late was dust, now rapid torrents play, Rush through the mounds, and bear the dams away. Old limbs of trees, from crackling forests torn, Are whirled in air, and on the winds are borne. A casual glance at the papers during the last days of March Would have satisfied anyone that the storm which passed over the country Was anything but insignificant. So far, we have given only the story of a single neighborhood, while a score of others suffered more or less. A brief account of some of these will be of interest, and will give us a far better idea of the character of great storms and tornadoes. The farthest point west, touched by a tornado on that memorable day, was a strip near the line between Missouri and Kansas, some fifty or sixty miles south of Kansas City. Here, a small tornado made its appearance about five o'clock in the afternoon, demolishing some fences and barns and breaking down a few trees, but, so far as known, no one was hurt. Meanwhile, the main storm had passed eastward much earlier in the afternoon. Shortly after the storm reached St. Louis, violent cyclonic movements were excited in southeast Missouri, upwards of a hundred miles away. At 3 p.m., the little town of Bloomsdale was struck, and five houses were instantly prostrated. The occupants of four of them were, at the time, in the Catholic Church, and the family who occupied the fifth escaped unhurt. Two sides of their house were blown away, while one side was blown inward and would have crushed them but for chairs and tables which sustained its weight. The church suffered the loss of its steeple and was otherwise damaged. 
a stable containing seven horses was blown away and not one of the horses was injured a cloud gathered and a cyclone seemed to form at or over charleston it followed the cairo branch of the iron mountain road eastward four miles from charleston it struck the flag station known as hoag's having on the way demolished one or two farmhouses and made havoc of the forest the little hamlet of hoag's was raised from the earth not a house being left intact one dwelling was blown two hundred feet across the railway track and smashed the owner his wife and son were killed and another son was badly injured the three-year-old baby was taken up unharmed another family lived nearby in a log house it was blown away and they were left sitting on the floor wondering such a case as this is by no means rare it is one of the many freaks of the wind not easily understood in the great cyclone of forty or fifty miles in diameter the wind comes in gusts or waves and such effects might be readily understood but in the case of the tornado of at most but a few hundred yards in diameter its passage is too rapid for those in its path to learn definitely whether it be uniform or not other peculiar feats were noticed at hoax a girl seventeen years old was blown one hundred and fifty yards into a pond but was rescued in time to save her from drowning and it is said that a man and woman were blown across a sixty-acre wheat field and picked up insensible the further statement that the bark was peeled clean from the trees though seemingly most incredible of all is very probably true for the writer has a vivid recollection of precisely the same phenomenon on the theater of marshfield cyclone in southwest missouri in that instance the bark was peeled from hundreds of hickory saplings almost from the roots to their topmost twigs this effect was inconceivable from any cause that could be thought of it was done by missiles flying through the air or the trees were bent over and threshed against the ground or there was some unknown force prevalent in the storm similar perhaps to that which shatters the bark or body of a thunder-smitten oak to an observer on the ground the first two suppositions seem to be excluded is this peculiar power of the tornado to be sought like that of keeley's motor in some occult force from hoag's station the tornado may have bounded above the treetops and descended again a few miles further on at bird's point opposite to cairo illinois anyhow a tornado struck the former place at four thirty five p m it was first seen above the trees it showed a yellowish cast and had the usual funnel shape about three hundred yards from the town it came to the ground and commenced its work of destruction eight or ten houses were blown to pieces or badly damaged a roof was carried two hundred feet into the air a yearling calf was thrown forty feet into a big ditch filled with water and nobody was hurt at cape gerardo on the mississippi five miles above bird's point there was a tremendous hail which broke thousands of windows and a gale lasting far into the night with damage to timber fences and buildings illinois suffered far worse than missouri the southern part of the state fared badly and the further south the worse the storm which struck st louis at three p m was a few minutes later giving the illinois towns on the other side a lively experience edwardsville o'fallon and centerville received a heavy gale at coulterville buildings barns and orchards suffered severely and several persons were injured sparta was struck about three fifteen p m from the second story of the public school building observers watched the approach of the storm two black clouds from opposite quarters of the heavens came together 
as by attraction and mingled with a rotary motion the tornado passed within a mile of the town on the northeast and mowed a swath through the heavy timber no such rain hail and wind mingled with fire had ever been seen before many barns were destroyed several houses were blown to pieces three or four persons were seriously hurt a traveling man was whisked out of his buggy by the wind carried some distance and sustained severe injuries the horses were thrown down and the buggy was completely wrecked at grand tower on the mississippi forty miles above cape gerardo there was a terrific tornado at four thirty p m it came from the west and swept houses trees trains everything in its course its track is described as one of extreme desolation four or five persons at least were killed and as many injured twenty-seven dwelling houses were completely demolished and a great many others unroofed or otherwise damaged at murfreesboro illinois many windows were broken by the great hail while there came an unverified report of fifteen or more persons killed about shiloh and to the north of campbell hill south of murfreesboro several houses were blown down two children were killed at centralia two and one-fourth inches of rain fell in twenty minutes changing later into snow farm buildings west of town suffered considerable damage at carbondale the dreaded funnel appeared and two blocks of houses were unroofed five miles southwest of xenia many outbuildings were blown down and several houses destroyed a schoolhouse on the prairie was blown away and one of the sills carried nearly a quarter of a mile in the southern part of union county seven miles southwest of anna a tornado swept a track about half a mile wide and four miles long over the richest farms destroying stock orchards forests and houses one or two persons were fatally hurt at mount pleasant twelve miles east of anna there was extensive destruction of property at braidwood a number of houses and outbuildings were blown away trees were torn up several persons severely injured and two or three children are said to have disappeared the writer remembers an instance that occurred some years ago when a fourteen-year-old boy was carried five miles and dropped into a stream but such a case does not occur in this country once in many years one of the freaks told of the wind at braidwood is that it rolled a man in the road and whisked a watch out of his pocket it does not appear that any funnel-shaped cloud was seen here at cairo out of a fleet of shanty boats thirteen were destroyed and an old cripple was drowned the storm struck nashville illinois at four p m the rain changing to furious hail fell so fast that one could scarcely see ten feet the wind blew with terrific force the prohibition tabernacle and a two-story brick cooper shop went down beginning six miles southeast on little prairie the damage was fearful and ranged through a sweep to the northeast of twenty miles no less than thirty houses were destroyed and twice that number badly damaged of numerous casualties one or two will illustrate the force of the wind in this place one family of seven was sitting in their house as the storm drew near two of the little girls becoming frightened ran out when the wind caught them up carried them across a field a quarter of a mile wide and dropped them uninjured save from a violent pelting of the hail as the remaining members of the family were in the act of forsaking the house it fell and all were more or less hurt this case would seem to indicate a lack of uniformity in the strength of the wind it being powerful enough at one point to carry away children while the house only a few feet away at most was still standing 
one or two other cases of persons being carried a considerable distance were reported from Nashville. All such instances show the powerful upward current of the tornado, for wind of greater horizontal velocity is often observed, which produces no such effects. To the uplifting force must be in some degree attributed the fact that in many cases only roofs or upper stories are damaged. This same force is responsible for not a few showers of objects that do not pertain to the upper air, such as the occasionally reported showers of fish and frogs. A tornado swept up Bay Bottom in Pope County, accompanied by rain and hail in floods and volleys. A partial report shows a schoolhouse dashed against a bluff a hundred feet away and reduced to kindling wood. A number of residences were destroyed and several persons were killed. In all the cases hitherto noted, the tornado, when seen, is reported as about one-eighth of a mile wide. The next one on the list, while powerful, is much smaller. The southwest part of Olney was devastated by a cyclone at 5.35 p.m. Its track was about a 100 yards wide and a mile long. It shattered or destroyed the homes of perhaps 500 people. Strange to relate, only two or three persons were badly hurt. John Borrell was voted the wisest man. His house was blown to atoms, but he and his wife were safe in their cyclone cellar and absorbing much comfort from a $600 cyclone policy on their building. But the climax of ruin for Illinois was reached at Metropolis, a town of 4,000 people situated on the Ohio River, 38 miles above Cairo and 11 miles below Paducah. A greenish tinge of the approaching cloud was the only unusual portent. Suddenly there came from the southwest a rolling, apparently born of the union of two clouds, which met in mid-air, and in a moment swooped down into the Ohio River, now at flood tide, and on lifting there followed it a column of water, estimated all the way from fifty to two hundred feet in height. This curious phenomenon swept onward, striking the river front like the hammer of a cyclop. In an instant, down went a large number of buildings, including principal business houses and the finest residences of the city. A few persons were seriously hurt, and two or three were killed. Of course, there were wonderful escapes. One gentleman had a numerous array of little children. The house was swept from over the family, and not a soul was hurt. In the country, the devastation was even more appalling. Residences, outbuildings, churches, even gravestones were wiped from the face of the earth. A relief committee was organized. In their dispatch of two days later, addressed to the St. Louis Republic newspaper and praying for help, they say, Hundreds of homes, the result of a life of labor, have been swept away in less time than it takes to record it. All kinds of property have been destroyed. The damage is estimated at over $200,000. Such is a partial list of the more important casualties of the great storm. Space is lacking to give detail to all the minor visitations and incidents. Such storms only attract the attention of the public when some thickly settled region is visited. Numerous hamlets and small towns might be named, of which nothing but the bare fact that a tornado passed through is recorded. The rural districts are, of course, far more frequently swept, but the narrowness and short path of the tornado preclude it doing much damage among them. Now, we have noticed a dozen different localities, all experiencing much the same sort of storms. The unthinking person might deem all this devastation the work of a single storm. Such is the case, but a distinction must be made between the storm itself and the tornadoes produced by it. That there were various tornadoes entirely distinct or independent of each other, the reader may clearly perceive by examining the foregoing pages. 
it will be noted that in several cases the tornado was seen to form near the spot devastated and further may be noted the hours at which the whirlwinds appeared for instance the one which passed near shawneetown missouri came later than most of those in illinois yet all moved toward the northeast a brief review of the main storm will be of interest and show how the various tornadoes were produced it has already been stated that the storm originated somewhere around the southwest corner of wyoming here as early as wednesday morning the signal service observed an area of very low barometer it moved rapidly eastward with a trend towards the south passing in the vicinity of denver kansas city and st louis thence northeast through the central part of indiana to lake erie the central path of the storm was a violent and progressive movement of the air doing in its passage trifling damage in some localities the cyclonic movements which did the principal mischief were all to the south of the storm center and were local and violent motions of the air about an axis while yet there was a progressive movement from the southwest to the northeast now these lesser whirlwinds are produced in exactly the same way as the great cyclones of many miles in diameter which we have already seen do not originate on land often because of the irregularities of surface that hinder but the local currents of wind in meeting produce the whirling motion compare with the moving of a current of water every river forms eddies along the bank which move a short distance down and towards the main current and then break up consider the great area of low barometer moving eastward and it will be seen that the local tornadoes suddenly forming and moving but a few miles are simply eddies on its edge it is easy to watch these produced on a small scale for nature's principles are the same in small and great when we have mastered the atom we have mastered the whole object let one observe the great fire in a forest or prairie on the outskirts of newly burned areas when the air has been rarefied by heat may be seen sudden and violent movements about a point as though there was a spirit in the wind in a moment it has lifted the ashes and scorched stalks and whatever light matters were in its way and circling perhaps wider and stronger for a time has borne them onward and upward towards the heavens where at length its force was dissipated and it mingled with the surrounding air similar movements were excited along the southern limits of the storm area which we are describing hence not one cyclone but more properly speaking a multitude of little cyclones tornadoes independent of each other but dependent on the main current or great eastward traveling storm center swept through points in illinois missouri tennessee and kentucky all rushing toward the line of the lowest barometrical depression the actual and advancing storm center not since the signal service had been established had the barometer at st louis stood so low as twenty eight point forty six which reduced to sea level means twenty nine point oh eight toward this region of rarefied air this partial vacuum the cyclonic movements from the south rushed with inconceivable fury and as the nucleus of the storm was rapidly moving eastward the cyclonic movements were turned from a north to a northeast course all these varied movements simply result from the effort of a disturbed atmosphere to restore an equilibrium the illustration of the fire used above also affords a good example of the way rotation may result from rising air anyone who has watched a great fire in calm weather knows that sparks and smoke do not rise straight up but in spirals and whirls the warm centers rising faster just as the middle of a stream flows faster than the edge but the powerful winds and damage done were not all the work of the marginal whirlwinds a storm center moving so rapidly must necessarily have carried a steady high wind 
Leaving Wyoming, by Wednesday evening the storm was in the middle of Colorado. On Wednesday night, it moved well into Kansas. On Thursday, it crossed the states of Missouri and Illinois, and Thursday night it was passing over Indiana. The climax of energy was apparently not attained until the storm reached Illinois. In Missouri, more or less damage was done to fences and buildings, from Sedalia to St. Louis. At the former place, a roof or two was blown off, and the teachers in one of the schools were so alarmed that they dismissed the children. Jefferson City, 60 miles further on, made a record of damaged roofs and shattered windows. At St. Louis, there was a deluge of rain at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, lasting half an hour, and the wind blew with fury during the evening and a greater part of the night. It drove in and smashed some plate-glass windows, blew off an occasional roof, and from the top of the corner of St. Patrick's School, hurled to the sidewalk a stone weighing perhaps 400 pounds. The story of the Louisville tornado serves to well illustrate all the peculiar features of the local whirlwinds produced by great storms. They seldom travel more than 30 miles, usually much less. Sometimes, as large as 2 miles in diameter, they seldom exceed 500 yards, and one of but 50 yards in diameter may be powerful enough to wreck a house. Often it is possible to trace the path of a tornado through the forest a century or more after its passage, for the reason that trees once destroyed are usually replaced by different varieties. But the tornado usually originates in the open country, though after its formation it may sweep through heavy timber. So far as loss of life is concerned, the tornado is much more to be feared than lightning. About 2,000 people have been killed in this country within 10 years by these rotary storms. Yet, all over the land, people put up rods that are expensive and often worse than useless as a precaution against lightning, when a small cyclone cellar could be dug that would be far more useful and less expensive. While intense electrical displays accompanied the tornado, there is no authentic record of lightning striking during one, and as will be seen in another place, the amount of electricity present seems to be rather an effect than a cause for rapid motion of gases may be made to produce powerful electric currents. While the tornado is justly feared in this country, yet as a destructive agent, it is far surpassed by a number of others whose ravages are less dreaded. It would be comparatively easy to show, we think, that more persons have been killed in one way or another by railways in ten years past than by tornadoes. The one that has been so carefully examined must not be considered as the worst our country has known. An examination of records of the past century will show a number that were more destructive to life and property. Doubtless an account of some of these would interest the reader. Places given to a few. The tornado has been observed, to some extent, in this country for more than a century, but only when our central states were well peopled did it attract very great attention. It is not common in the eastern states and but one has ever been recorded west of Dodge City, Kansas. It is not unknown in Europe, though far less common than with us, having been noticed a few times in France. In general, it is so rare that a tornado that passed through Monville in 1845 attracted such attention as to be noticed in French textbooks on physics. To the American, there is nothing unusual in the conduct of this storm. Perhaps the earliest detail of a storm of this sort among us is that of a double one in South Carolina on the afternoon of May 2, 1761. The tornado crossed the Ashley River and swooped down upon the shipping at Rebellion Wharf with such fury as to threaten the destruction of the entire fleet. From the city, it was seen coming at first rapidly toward Wabo Creek, like a column of smoke, with a very irregular and tumultuous movement. 
the quantity of vapor which composed this column and its prodigious velocity produced such intense commotion that it agitated Ashley River to its depth and left the channel bare. The ebb and flow made the shipping float off to a great distance. When it struck the river, it made a noise like contentious thunder. Its diameter at that moment was estimated at 1,500 feet, and its height, as seen at Charleston, at 25 degrees. It was met at White Point by another whirlwind, which descended Cooper River, but was not equal to the first. When they came together, the commotion in the air was much greater still. The form and vapor seemed to have been thrown to the height of 40 degrees, while the clouds that hurried from all directions towards that point seemed to rush thither and whirl about at one and the same time with incredible velocity. The meteor then darted on the shipping and the roadstead and reached them in three minutes, although the distance was nearly six miles. Out of 45 vessels, five were sunk on the spot. The state ship, Dolphin, and 11 others were demasted. The damage, estimated at more than 200,000 pounds, was done in a moment, and even the vessels that sank were swallowed up so rapidly that the people who were below had scarcely time to scramble up on deck. The whirlwind of Cooper River changed the course of the one that came from Wapo Creek, which, had it not been for that, would, proceeding in the same direction, have swept away the city of Charleston before it like so much straw. This terrible column was first perceived about noon, at more than fifty miles southwest of the roads. It destroyed everything in its way, making a complete avenue when it passed through the woods. The loss of the five ships was so sudden that it was not known whether it was the weight of the column of wind or the mass of water driven upon them that made them go down. The tornado occasionally originates at sea and whirls up a heavy column of water for a few feet, which, meeting the dark funnel from above, presents the appearance of a pillar of water reaching the clouds. Not a few ignorant people once imagined that all rain originated from the water thus sucked up. These columns, or water spouts, are generally a few feet in diameter and may sometimes be broken by firing a cannonball through them. They are not ordinarily considered dangerous, but there are some exceptions, and it is not improbable that many a ship that left port, never to be heard of again, has been overwhelmed by some gigantic water spout. Of the most destructive tornadoes in the United States, Mississippi records the two leading ones. The first came on May 7, 1840, and Natchez was the principal sufferer, though other portions of Adams County were swept. The day began warm and cloudy, with the wind south, veering to east. At 12.15 p.m., the sky became a lurid yellow. The storm striking the river six or seven miles below the city did not reach it until 2 p.m., the rush of the wind did not last five minutes, and the destructive blast only a few seconds. Houses were burst outward. 317 persons were killed in the city and on the river. Sheet tin was carried 20 miles, and windows 30 miles. 109 persons were badly injured, and property to the value of $1,260,000 was destroyed. Most of the deaths resulted from drowning. Two steamers and 60 flatboats were sunk, while the city was flooded with nine inches of rain. Enormous hailstones fell. A desk, fastened with three locks, was blown open by the explosive force of the expanding air within. Another curious freak of this expansive power occurred in a tornado at New Brunswick. A towel hanging on the wall was found apparently blown nearly through it. The expanding air had driven the towel in a large crevice which opened in the wall behind it, 
and the crevice closed as the storm passed on, holding the towel to puzzle the neighborhood. The next great tornado visited Natchez on June 16, 1842, and killed 500 people. Next to these, in destruction of life, is the famous Marshfield tornado of April 1880, in which 101 persons were killed and 600 injured. The town of Marshfield was literally wiped off the earth. This tornado was notable for its unusually wide path and the large area traversed. Four counties were swept, and though the county was sparsely settled and comparatively little improved, yet the damage to property was estimated at more than $1 million. General Greeley, of the Signal Service, pronounces it one of the most remarkable in the history of the United States. It formed at the junction of two streams a few miles southwest of Marshfield, and, like the South Carolina tornado of 1761, owed its immense power to the union of two lesser storms that had traveled down the valleys of the respective streams. Such a tornado passing over a great city would equal the earthquake in disastrous effects. Perhaps a better idea of its power may be gathered from a comparison with the New Haven storm of 1878, which killed but 34 people and destroyed $2 million worth of property, as much as the recent storm at Louisville. The remarkable feature about every tornado, the very small destruction of life, may be better understood when it is stated that, excluding the two Natchez tornadoes, where the number of houses wrecked is not known, and the Louisville storm, the 20 most destructive tornadoes in the United States have killed 613 people and destroyed over 3,000 houses. This brings us to the peculiar fact that but one person is killed in every five houses. As the average house may be counted as containing four persons, it appears that the chance that any single individual in a wrecked house will not be killed are 19 to 1. While the mathematical calculation may be encouraging, yet few will care to take the risk of a tornado, even though the odds be vastly in their favor. People place little dependence in arithmetic as a life preserver. The recent Louisville storm presents a high average, as about 50 of the victims were taken from a single building. The lowest average is shown by the tornado that struck Camden, New Jersey, August 3, 1885, when 500 houses were destroyed and but six persons killed, one for every 83 houses. In general, there seems to be a prevalence of a 1 to 10 rate, but a storm in a city usually vastly increases the death rate by reason of the number of brick houses which, when wrecked, fall much more compactly than frame buildings. The greatest destruction of property has been in Ohio, where the aggregate now amounts to about $9 million. Next is Minnesota with $7 million, and Missouri and Mississippi with about $4 million each. Missouri is first in respect to loss of life, and Mississippi next. The months most liable to tornadoes are May, April, June, and July, in order, and the time of day the hottest, that is, from 3 to 5 p.m. These data suffice to show the peculiar acts of the tornado in our land. There is one case of a great storm attended by tornadoes on its southeast border that is even more noteworthy than the great one so minutely detailed in the preceding pages. A storm center passing over a wider region on February 9, 1884, produced, after 10 o'clock that day, over 60 tornadoes in Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, Kentucky, and Tennessee, and North Carolina. Over 10,000 buildings were destroyed, 800 people killed, and 2,500 wounded. The damage done by any single one was small, while the aggregate was fearful. The tornado is occasionally seen in Europe, but in the few instances recorded, 
it has been much smaller and moved much slower than the same sort of storm in america though quite as powerful within the territory traversed one that was very formidable was observed near boulogne in 1822 it moved about irregularly for an hour tearing holes in the ground snapping off trees and twisting down houses yet it was not twenty-five feet in diameter another one in eighteen seventy two swept through a little town in italy and was so powerful as to twist iron balcony railings together like so many skeins of thread several persons were killed in some portions of the sahara and of arabia very numerous small whirlwinds accompany desert storms whirling up the fine sand in dense columns presenting the appearance of clouds in a region where clouds are unknown so many writhing columns swaying like dancing serpents present a peculiarly terrifying aspect to the superstitious arab who has only too good reason to fear them strange tales of their destructiveness are rife it is said that the army of cambyses was overwhelmed by one of these desert storms this story must however be taken with a grain of salt but there is no doubt that a sandstorm is quite as dangerous as a dakota blizzard in tropical regions the tornado or land spout as many europeans call it gives place to the great cyclone still it appears occasionally one which swept the suburbs of calcutta in eighteen thirty eight was but a few yards in diameter but in its march of sixteen miles it killed two hundred and fifteen persons wounded two hundred and thirty three and destroyed one thousand two hundred and forty five houses thus displaying quite as great power as any tornado observed in our own land the speed of rotation was so great that a bamboo cane was driven through a mud wall five feet thick faced on both sides with brick as great penetrative power as is usually given to a six-pound cannonball. End of chapter seven